All right. Well, good morning. Uh, it is good uh, to see you. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, like you said, my name is Scott. I'm one of uh, the elders at this campus, and it is so good uh, to be with you this morning. Um, I'm also better known as the guy with five kids in the back. Um, so, uh, and yes, uh, we are very tired. Uh, <laughs> So uh, it is really good uh, to be with you this morning. I also wanted to take a moment and celebrate uh, because last weekend uh, we did something where we asked the people of our church, you, uh, to take your first step in following Jesus and maybe joining a ministry team, and I wanted to report what God did. So last week we talked all about what this could mean for us to take our next step in following Jesus, and at the end of our services between both campuses, we had 322 people indicate that they wanted to start serving somewhere at Mercy Church. Can we give the Lord a hand? Y'all, that is amazing for a lot of reasons. Yes, it's good to to serve, but also if we're going to take the gospel to our city, to the ends of the earth, to see an awakening here in Charlotte, to the ends of the earth, like we just saw with Stu and Gracie, then it's going to take all of us periodically coming to the table and said, all right, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? I'll take my next step in following Jesus, and it's going to constantly take us moments of evaluation to make sure uh, that we take our next step in following Jesus. Who needs the gospel? What part of our church is in need? How can I use my gifts? All of those are great questions, and even it's even good for you to look at your brother or your sister and say, hey, it's time for you to get in the game. Join me, join my, my ministry team, whatever it is, my community group. Just take your next step in following Jesus. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our text today. Uh, God, thank you so much. Uh, Lord, you are so good. You are so kind. You're so merciful to us. Lord, I praise you for Stu and for Gracie who are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, I have been, I have stepped foot in the place where they are going, and where they are going, it is difficult. Where they are going, it is hard, but God, you are better. You are better than all those things. And Lord, I want to pray for the 300 plus people that have indicated that they want to take their next next step in following Jesus, whatever that means. And God, I pray that you bless them in their time. God, I pray that our church, our city, and our world is impacted from their sacrifice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, this morning we are continuing in our Exodus series, so if y'all will turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 28, and at this point in the story, we're about to get, like, we're about to get right to the moment where we see all the plagues and this basic cosmic throwdown between God and Pharaoh, Uh, but God still had more work to do in Moses' heart. So far, we have seen God call Moses to deliver his people from their oppressors in Egypt, We've seen Moses go back and forth with the Lord on his insecurities uh, as he looks at this enormous task uh, that God has entrusted to him. And as we've seen God, and we've also seen God ensure Moses that he will be going with him wherever he goes. Two weeks ago, we saw Moses take a big step, one of the first big steps in following God. And he went to Moses, I'm sorry, he went to Pharaoh and he demanded that he let God's people go. But instead of it working, it got a lot worse. Pharaoh didn't let God's people go, and he even increased his harsh treatment of Israel. 
Moses' resolve was tested as Pharaoh turned up the pressure on God's people. And as Pastor Spence mentioned, our response to pressure like this in opposition can often look similar to Moses. We can be like, what the heck, God? I finally obeyed you and now it got worse? You know, what am I supposed to do now? And it's right here where if this were a movie, the movie would take a turn for the worse and you'd wonder if the main character is going to keep going in the story. And then it happens. The character finds something within themselves to keep going. A mentor or a coach tells them to look within themselves to find the strength that they need and that they had actually all along, but they just didn't know how to activate it yet. And then when they finally do, it's like they become a superhero who has never struggled with self-confidence ever in their life, right? Well, spoiler alert, this story isn't like a movie. What we see in Moses is him struggling with a real life struggle. That's why I love the Bible. It shows real people with real struggles in real time in their moments of desperate need. Moses is looking at the assignment that God has given him, and he knows that he doesn't have it within himself. He doesn't have it. And at the end of the day, Moses' assignment actually wasn't really about him. It was about God. And that's what I want for us to see today. So the main idea of the sermon that I want you to get today is this, is that God has an assignment for you and he will give you all that you need. God has an assignment for you and he will give you all that you need. All right, let's pick up in verse 28. All right, remember, from Moses' perspective, the last task that the Lord gave him failed miserably, but if you look in the headings of your Bible, the plagues are coming and Moses led God's people through it, but before we get there, there was still some work that needed to be done in Moses' heart. All right, verse 28. On the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. He said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. Verse 30, but Moses replied in the Lord's presence, since I am such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? Since I'm such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? Here's the first thing I want you to see today, is that your assignment is not dependent on your ability. Your assignment is not dependent on your ability. Let's start with verse 28 and 29 again. God pulls Moses aside and says to him in verse 29, I am the Lord. Moses, I'm the Lord. I am the Lord. Moses is crushed. He's having a difficult moment. It went terribly last time, but God got down on Moses' level just like a good father would to a discouraged child, and he said, Moses, I'm the Lord. God appeals to his own name. This is an incredibly important moment for us to understand. God was appealing to his name, Yahweh. As we saw earlier in this series, Yahweh means I am. Or another faithful way to interpret this is that he is that which he has always been. He's saying to Moses, I'm the promise keeper. I'm the same God who I was to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I always remember I never forget, I am the Lord. I've shown my character to be good in the past, therefore you can trust my character with your future. Like Moses, we forget, don't we? 
You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been worried about how something was gonna turn out in my life only to then see God provide for me and then me feel like a dummy afterwards. Well, of course God would do that, right? You know, we forget. And like Moses, we can also base our confidence in accomplishing the assignment that God has given us based on our ability and not on who Yahweh is. Because of our fear, because of our sin, we judge God's assignment to us based on whether or not we feel competent for the task. Like Moses, we can overly fixate on our lack of ability. And when we do this, when what is actually happening is we are focusing way too much on ourselves. We're getting way too preoccupied with ourselves, looking at ourselves, and then we start to see ourselves as the obstacle getting in the way of God accomplishing his purposes, which is crazy. We couldn't stop anything that God wanted to do even if we tried. You know, then Moses said in verse 30, but Moses replied in the Lord's presence, since I'm such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? You know, this is like the fourth time that we've seen in the book of Exodus that he's made this complaint, right? You know, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. He's brought this up a lot. This idea is stuck in his head and it's like a cycle that never ends. He keeps, tell, he keeps telling himself over and over again that he's inadequate. And I wanna take a moment and I just wanna pause right here and I wanna talk to you about this idea of inadequacy. I want to speak to you as a fellow human in this way because I can certainly identify with the feeling of inadequacy in almost all the things that God has called me to in my life. And I want you to listen to this because this is important. God isn't asking you to be competent. He's asking you to be obedient. God isn't asking you to be competent. He's asking you to be obedient. God has called all of us to a great calling. He's given each one of us an assignment in the Great Commission. And each one of us has given, been given the task of making disciples of all nations. Every single spirit-filled believer in this room has that assignment. We all play a part. And I know that sometimes what God is asking you to do can seem scary. But you have to ask yourself, why does it seem scary? Why is it that we usually jump straight to fear? You know, is it because we think we're gonna fail and not measure up? Yeah, probably. But I think there's something deeper that your fear is actually telling you. There's something bigger. Remember what we've been saying all along in this series is that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. It shapes everything about your life. And get this, anywhere that you place a condition on your obedience based on your competence, your problem really isn't your ability, it's your faith. Let me say that again. Anywhere that you place a condition on your obedience based on your competence, your problem really isn't your ability, it's your faith. Your functional belief is that God's not gonna come through for you. And I've spoken with many of you, and many of you know what God is calling you to do, and you're afraid. And I get it, it is scary to follow God. But church, we have to get out of our own way. How can you trust, how can I trust in a God who will save us from our sins one day, and one day we're gonna go to a place called heaven, right, that we can't see, but also not trust him with our future, but not trust him with what God is calling us to. That's inconsistent. See, your problem isn't that you feel inadequate, the problem is that you have a small view of God at the moment. 
And fear is now sitting on the throne instead of Christ. And as someone who's prone to being fearful, church, we have to get off the throne. If fear rules your life, you are in for a joyless walk with Jesus. Let me explain that in a minute. If, you, if, if fear rules your life, you're in for a joyless walk with Jesus. Why? Because you're never going to obey the things that he calls you to do, and then you're never going to see God show off his provision for you. You're never going to see a good heavenly daddy provide for his precious child. Why? Because you're not giving an opportunity to. You know, I remember as a child finding myself in situations of obedience and, and, and I didn't know how I was gonna move forward and all I wanted was for my dad, my, my heavenly dad to show up because I knew he would know what to do and God knows what to do. He loves you and you can obey him because you can trust him. You know, I think an example of this is, is a lot of times we hear or we feel like God's calling us to something and then we say something like, well, gosh, you know, I'm not really blank enough. I'm not really hospitable enough to open my home. I'm not really outgoing enough to go meet these new people and and, and introduce them to Jesus. I'm not really knowledgeable enough to, to start a community group or I'm not really brave enough to go overseas. You know, whatever your blank is, it's not about your competency. God will supply you. It's about your obedience. So take the new job. Watch. Watch what God will do. He'll show up for you. You need this morning, just as much as Moses, to listen to the same words, hey, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I will be with you. So therefore, we have to trust him and we have to obey. We, we see God remind Moses of who he is, and now God gives him the plan uh, in the verses to following about everything that's about to happen. And he shares with him about the, all the obstacles that he's about to face. I am the Lord, he says, I'm Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. All right, chapter seven, verse one, it says this. The Lord answered Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command, then Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh so that the Israelites will let you go from this land. Verse three, this is important. God tells him the opposition that's about to happen, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people the Israelites out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh, that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. You see, God, God told Moses everything that was about to happen. And we see in verse, we see right here the second thing I want us to see, which is the outcome of your assignment is already decided. The outcome of your assignment is already decided. We see God telling Moses the outcome of what will happen. He says, all right, Moses and Aaron, this is what you are to do, and this is what I'm going to do. I love that God does this with him because, I love it because the longer Moses follows Yahweh, the more he will find his confidence that God will bring about his will for his people. Sometimes the more we're reminded of the end of the story, 
the more, it gives us more confidence in the Lord. One of the great themes of Exodus and in the scriptures is God telling us our assignment and then seeing God accomplishing the outcome through his people. In Acts 1-8 it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and all of the earth, into the ends of the earth. We see our assignment. Our assignment is to be witnesses and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And as we see the book of Acts unfold and as we see the beginnings of how the church did this and how we're still doing it today. Why? Why do we do this? Why do we keep going today? Because we know the end. We have confidence in the end. Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked and there was a vast multitude. People from every tribe, people and language which no one could number. Y'all, I'm not, I can't wait for that. Like, I can't wait for that. People standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our Lord, belongs to God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every tribe, every nation, surrounding, worshiping King Jesus, that's the end. We obey because that's the end. In the end, we all win. Why? Because we've got Jesus. You know, at my house, my wife, uh, she hates suspenseful movies. Uh, She's like, I've got enough stress in my life, why would I expose myself to more, right? Um, And I guess that makes sense, but you know, I hate doing things alone, uh, so I always want her to watch movies with me. So in order to get her to watch the movie, if it's one that I've seen, sometimes I'll tell her how the movie ends. And when she knows how it ends, she's much more willing to move forward with this activity, um, at least for about 15 minutes, and then she'll fall asleep, and then I'm alone again. Um, and there's one in every couple, you know who you are, and how dare you do that. Um, that is messed up, we are trying to enjoy an experience with you, and you, it's full rejection, that's what it is. Um, shame on you. Um, The point here is that God keeps telling Moses the outcome of what will happen. And he has told us the outcome of what will happen. So like Moses, he needs to trust and obey, and we need to trust and obey. In verse one, he says that I will make you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. This is big. He's reminding Moses about something he said to him back in chapter four, back in chapter four verse 15. Moses again was complaining. You know, he rattled off his long laundry list of reasons why he shouldn't do this. And he's, at the end, he's like, Lord, just, just send somebody else. Just send somebody else. And the Lord responded by saying this. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak, and will teach you both what to do. Now catch that, Aaron was to be the mouthpiece for Moses. Remember, because Moses, we don't know if he had a speech impediment or if he, was, if he was just, we don't really know what it was, but he had a difficulty, he had difficulty with speech, but he promises that he will be bo- with both of them as they speak, not just Aaron. In another version it says, I will be with your mouth and his mouth. Eventually what we see in Exodus is that Aaron isn't always the primary communicator to Pharaoh or God's people. We start to see that that Moses, as he grows in confidence in who God is, he starts to be the one who communicates directly to God's people. 
He's the one that starts going directly to them. But more, we'll see more of that uh, once we get to the plagues, once we get later on into the book of Exodus. All right, and, and I know some of you might be thinking, Scott, you said the word assignment like a million times, and I don't really know what my assignment is. Uh, you know, God never really spelled it out for me that clearly like he did with Moses and Aaron. Uh, I get it. Uh, he does get pretty specific with Moses and tells them exactly what to do. Uh, but let me push back on that idea for a moment. God is very specific with us through his word as we walk in the spirit. He is. Now, this sermon isn't about how to find your assignment, but I think it's a helpful tangent for a moment. So here's my pushback. There are a lot of commands of Christ that are explicitly said directly to you. There are. The problem for most of us is that we're not obeying the simple commands of Christ that we already know. We're all called to make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28 says, 28 says that. If you've been following Jesus for a while, you, kinda, you know that. You know, we know this. Have you made a disciple before? Have you tried to be obedient in that way? Have you ever shared your faith? Studies show us that most of us aren't. Are you spending time in God's word, expecting him to show up there, and immediately trying to obey what it says? Or what about 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will for you to be sanctified. You're wondering what his will is? For you to be sanctified, that you avoid sexual immorality. James 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives what? Generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20, be very careful then how you should live, not as unwise, but as wise, making uh, most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs from the Spirit. I'm still waiting for you to, one of you to write me a song, uh, so next week, I'll, I'll wait for it. Uh, always giving thanks to the Lord and to the Father in everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Are you doing the things that are clearly commanded? When we spend time with God and in his word and obey his word, and when we invite the spirit of God into our daily lives and expect that he will prompt us throughout our day and then obey what he says, then we start to see what's clarified for us as our assignment. What our assignment needs to be at work with our family and our company in our neighborhood. If you're not frequently inviting God, the spirit of God for wisdom on how to operate as a believer in your space, in your sphere of influence, it's gonna be really hard for you to know and discern what the voice of the Lord sounds like. And even more difficult to discern your specific assignment in the Great Commission. You know, the outcome, what we see, I've probably spent too much time there, the outcome of what we see is that our assignment is already decided so we can trust and obey, and that's what Moses and Aaron do next. They obey. They trust God. Despite their insecurities, they keep going forward, and y'all, what's about to happen gets really weird. <laughs> Verse six. So Moses and Aaron did this. They did just as the Lord commanded. I love that. Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 when they went to Pharaoh, Couple 80 year olds rolling deep up to Pharaoh, obeying God, trusting him, love it, love it. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh tells you, perform a miracle, 
All right, he's about to tell him everything that's about to happen, all the opposition that he's about to face. When Pharaoh tells you perform a miracle, tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded and Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. Boom, take that Pharaoh. But then in verse 11, Pharaoh fought back a little bit. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt. We'll see a lot more of these guys later on in the plagues. And the magicians of Egypt, they also did the same thing by their occult practices. If you think God is going to give you an assignment, but the enemy's not going to oppose you, you're delusional. He is going to oppose you. Hard. There is a war that we live in and it is active. There's an enemy that hates you. Be wise, obey the Lord. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. Eat it. (laughs) Verse 13, however, Pharaoh's heart was hard and he did not listen to them. Check it, just as the Lord said. Just as the Lord said. And here's the last thing I think the Lord wants us to see in this text is that your assignment is both for your good and God's purposes. Your assignment is both for your good and God's purposes. God can accomplish both of those things at the same time. Isn't that amazing? He can accomplish your good and his good simultaneously because he is that awesome. He's incredible. Look at what God does here. Moses and Aaron obey, and then everything happened exactly the way that God had said. So question, how is it for Moses' good and God's glory? Well, let's start with Moses' good. Think about it this way. Who do you think is getting the most out of this miraculous moment? Who do you think is the person getting the most out of this? Moses. It's not Pharaoh. How do we know? Because we already saw that God said he would, that, that Moses' heart would be hard. We saw that in verse three. God knew that he wasn't gonna let Israel go yet, but God had a bigger plan, which he was planning the plagues in the following chapters, which is God's purposes. But this moment was probably more for Moses. It ensured that Moses saw God's power at work, and then when they moved forward, he would continue to trust him. Man, I love how intentional God is with his people. He simultaneously increases Moses' faith for future steps of obedience by displaying his power and at the same time hardening Pharaoh's heart uh, so that he could multiply his power among the nations. So he can multiply his power among the nations. And we see later that with the plagues that God so severely disables Egypt that even some of the Egyptians are like, you know what? That's God. I am out of here. I am going with Israel. I am following them because that is the true God. It's amazing. God flexes on them real hard and they get scared and it's wild. They start going with Israel. It's pretty cool. Uh, But yes, God is even reaching the nations right here, even in the Old Testament. He's already doing that. But I want to take a moment and speak to the skeptics uh, because I do want to acknowledge, yes, that there was just an epic snake battle. Um, And if you're new to the Bible or you aren't a Christian or follower of Jesus, I'm really glad that you're here. Let me speak to you for a moment because I know what you might be thinking. Okay, he just read through that snake battle really quickly. And this is why, that's why I can't believe the Bible. 
That is why I can't believe the Bible. I am too educated to believe in this miracle stuff. Now listen, I hear you. That's why we have, uh, we're starting next month our snake handling ministry. Uh, I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. Um, we're, we're not doing that. Um, no, but I do, I do think that that is a legitimate question. I do think that that is a legitimate and an honest question. And I have an answer for it, but, um, but it may cause you to do a little bit more investigation, which I think is good. If you're looking at this passage and you just can't believe in this miracle, I'd like to humbly say that I think you're looking at the wrong miracle. There's a different miracle that I think you should be wrestling with first, not this one. There are all sorts of miracles all throughout the Bible. Christianity is a, is, is a, is a faith system based upon miracles. We see all throughout the scripture, but there's a different miracle that I think you should be focusing on. I think the first miracle that you should be wrestling with is the fact that Jesus died for our sins on a cross and he got executed by Roman soldiers who were very, very, very good at making sure that people died. They were really good at it. And then he was placed in a grave for three days and then he rose from the dead. Now, that's the miracle that I think you should be focusing on. Why? Because all of Christianity is based upon this one miracle. If that miracle didn't happen, then every single person in this room right now, we are all wasting our time. Every single one of us, and we should be pitied because everything that we are believing isn't true if he did not come out of the grave. Everything that we've done is meaningless if he didn't get out of the grave. Our claim is that Jesus died for our sins and that our only hope to be saved is from Jesus' death and resurrection. Now you might say, well, I just don't think that Jesus existed. I don't think he existed. You know, I've met people like this, especially on the college campus, who don't think he existed. And sometimes I respond to them and I say, well, uh, what if I said that I don't believe in Abraham Lincoln? I don't believe he existed. You know, they typically respond with, well, we have a lot of historical proof that he did. You know, the Emancipation Proclamation. And then I just respond with, well, oh, I know. I'm just choosing not to believe that he existed. That's insane, right? Like, like, that's insane. Like, Abraham Lincoln did exist. And so did Jesus. Like, we have historical evidence of Jesus not just walking the earth, but also a bunch of people seeing him rise from the dead and walking around for 40 days. Like that was just normal, <laughs> right? right? And there's even a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He was an atheist journalist who investigated the resurrection because he was gonna prove it, that it wasn't true, and then what he found shocked him. Jesus did exist, he did die, and there's no way to prove that he didn't raise from the dead based on evidence. So the question isn't, do I believe in this snake battle? It's not, do I believe in these plagues that are about to happen? It's, do I believe that Jesus is the son of God? Is that who he is? That's the question I think you should wrestle with. And if you're interested in hearing more about that, you know, talk to your neighbor, uh, come talk to us after the service, or next week is Easter. That's what Easter is all about. It's the resurrection of Jesus, so come back next week. All right, so back to the story. So God works out uh, all this, both for Moses' good and his purposes. Moses is about to see even crazier things in this snake battle in days to come. And God knew that Moses needed his faith strengthened 
so that God could show off for him. And as we conclude today, I want to say that as, as he showed off, he has showed off for us too. God has showed off for us too. As we look at the book of Exodus, we see something eerily similar. We see Moses and God's people continuing to live in fear. So do we. They continue to disobey God and lose sight of who he is. So do we. The same thing, the same fear that Moses struggled with at the beginning of Exodus is the same fear that kept him from being able to enter the promised land at the end of Exodus. It's tragic. Moses and Israel continued not to trust God despite all the miracles, all the things that God had shown them. And y'all, that's why we need Jesus. When we were faithless, Christ was faithful. When we struggled to obey and trust God, Christ perfectly obeyed and trusted his father. The gospel in Exodus is that God made a covenant with Israel. He promised to take them to the promised land. He gave them the Ten Commandments, the law to instruct them. And all this did was show them that they were incapable of keeping these commands. All it showed them was that their deeds, their sin, took them left and right and away from the true north of the gospel, of of the truth of God. It shows us our need, all of us. So Jesus came, he lived perfectly in our place because we couldn't, he died in our place so that we didn't have to die. A loving father sent his only son to come after you, to come after you. And he says, all who are weary and tired, come to me and I will give you rest. I will save you from your sins. I will be your father if you didn't have one. I'll be the place that you can put your hope in when everything else has let you down. And when you give your life to him, he has an assignment for you. And he is ready to give you all that you need. Let me pray. God, we pray this morning. Lord, thankful that you give us an assignment. (laughs) But Lord, we're thankful that that outcome of the assignment is not dependent on our ability. It's not dependent on our competence. It's dependent upon you and your name. Lord, you are Yahweh. You are the God of Israel. You are the same God then that you are now. You keep your promises. So Lord, we continue to walk and obey you and trust in the end. Trust in the end, Revelation 7, 9, that there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping you. Lord, we keep persevering even though we're suffering right now because we know in the end you will wipe away every tear. You will make all of the things that are wrong right. Any injustice here will be justice there. And God, we're thankful for the perspective that you can work out both our good and your purposes at the same time. God, that you can be working in us, changing us, helping us, sanctifying us, while at the same time bringing about your purposes. God, you are good. You are awesome. You are amazing. You are a good father. And Lord, we trust and obey you with our lives. God, help us do it. Help us. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.